chapter 29, verses 31 through 35. And uh, if you are here in person or if you feel comfortable doing this at home, if you could please stand as able for the reading of God's word for us today. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me the son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my, my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are continuing our sermon series on how we can become whole people in Christ. And today's message is called Be Loved. And as you can probably tell from the title of the the message, that today's uh, sermon, we're going to be talking about love. And it's something that we know that it's a basic human need, right? Um, It's right up there with uh, uh, air and water and shelter and food and all those things. They are very basic human needs. And what they found is that there are studies where if a baby doesn't receive love, doesn't receive human touch and nurturing, that they literally won't thrive, that, that it's very, very hazardous for a baby. And so, you know, for us, even if we have uh, uh, seem to be alive, right, um, there is this very uh, uh, hardwired need in all of us, this desire for love. But I have to say that for a lot of us, um, we may know this on some level, but I have to just kind of confess, you know, maybe this is, um, I, I don't know if this is unique to me, but maybe some of you feel this, that it's kind of like not cool to confess that, right? It, it seems kind of weak and desperate to be like, I need love, right? Like we, we don't want to admit that. I'm lonely, you know, but the truth is that I think a lot of us are. You know, we definitely found out uh, during the pandemic, you know, just how lonely people were and still are. And the thing is, it's not just being around people, but it's something much deeper than that. Because if it was just being around people, then you would see a lot of people now that we can kind of be in public and we're around people again. And a lot of things have kind of returned to, you know, so, so-called normal uh, in many ways that Do you think that there's not lonely people anymore? Of course there are, right? Because it's not just being around people, right? You probably know this. You've probably been in a crowded room. You've probably been in a city. You've probably been in a classroom. You're surrounded by people, but you still can feel lonely because what we need is not just human companionship. We need love. We need people who are on our side, people who care about us, people that we matter to, right? And each and every one of us needs this. Right? It's such a great need that for some of us, it kind of becomes our idol. And in this world today uh, where, I mean, let's be honest, right? The, 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 the belief in God and the trust in God and, and the way that we think about God has changed. And for a lot of people, they may not even believe in God. Or they may think of God as, you know, sort of like this distant reality that doesn't really touch their everyday life, right? 
And because of that, because God is not in God's proper place in our hearts and in our lives in many ways, uh, we seek for other things to satisfy us, to, to, to kind of fill that place where God should be. And so we have, you know, these kind of idols. Uh, Tim Keller, in his book, um, Counterfeit Gods, he talks about three in particular. And uh, he talks about love uh, as one of them. And uh, some of the, what we're going to talk about uh, in, in this story uh, with Jacob and Leah um, comes from uh, Tim Keller's take in Counterfeit Gods. Uh, some of it does. And so, yeah, if you want to find out more about how we can make these things into idols, I, I definitely encourage you to check out that book. Uh, but this is a story that is going to take a little bit of context. We read the part that we're going to really kind of key in on uh, that I think is the, the, the key kind of uh, crux of, of where we can find uh, 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 the, the, really what we're all looking for, to be loved. Um, but uh, we've we got to give a little bit of context and so we're going to go back a little bit in Genesis 29, where uh, basically Jacob meets uh, Rachel uh, for the first time. And so we're told that Laban, uh, who was um, uh, Jacob's relative, uh, that he had two daughters. And basically, um, uh, Jacob's uh, mom, Rebecca, wanted him to find uh, a wife amongst his kinsmen. And so he went to his kin, he went to Laban, and we're told that uh, the first one he meets is Rachel, and we're going to find out what he thinks about Rachel, and, and you're going to find out that he was absolutely smitten. Uh, but, so it says, now Laban had two daughters, the name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance, and this is something that Tim Keller points out, that you see this contrast. It says, Leah's, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And so it's not talking about probably just like eyesight. It doesn't say uh, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel had, you know, 20-20 vision or something like that, right? But it contrasts in terms of beauty, right? And, and I mean, you know, this kind of emphasis. It says, Rachel was beautiful form in form and appearance, right? Like, like she was in, in the eyes of this world, right? In the eyes of this society. She was seen as really beautiful, smoking hot, right? And, and, and that, that she's the kind of guy, uh, she's the kind of uh, uh, a girl who would like turn people's heads, right? She was stunning. But we're told, in, in contrast, Leah's eyes were weak. And so... What Tim Keller kind of speculates, and some other people uh, as well, other uh, commentators, is that maybe what this means, I mean, you know, people see it as a kind of a euphemism, um, but maybe there was something wrong with Leah's eyes, where maybe she was like cross-eyed, or there's something that like clearly made her appear not as beautiful, that a lot of people just kind of, you know, she wasn't the one to turn eyes, right? She wasn't the one to get the attention from guys. And, and, and we're told Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And we're told that this is actually a very, very high bride price. I mean, Jacob probably could have gotten away with maybe a couple years. 
But he's like, man, I, I, I just, I, I got to have Rachel. And so he pledges seven years to serve Laban in, in return for Rachel's hand in marriage. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. And it's, uh, uh, Tim Keller points out that Laban never actually says, like, okay, deal. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that would be better that I, you know, give Rachel to you. But he doesn't actually say it, right? And what you find out is Laban is going to take advantage of Jacob's love for Rachel, right? He's, he sees a lovesick fool, and so he, he, he takes him for a ride, right? He, he cons him. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her, right? I mean, he's just, it's obvious to everyone. And Laban knows it so much. He knows how just crazy Jacob is about Rachel that he's able to kind of pull a fast one on him. And so then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. So he switches the, 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 the daughters, right? So instead of Rachel, he gives, um, he gives uh, Jacob Leah. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And so they consummate the marriage, right? I mean, it's a done deal in that society, right? And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Now, some people might be wondering, like, it's kind of a weird story because you're like, how could you not know, Jacob? So one of the things in that society is, is like, I mean, also in our society, is they would have covered Leah's face, right? And of course, it's a wedding. So probably Jacob had a lot to drink. And it also kind of speaks to just how desperate Jacob was for Rachel, right? That he does this thing, but in the morning, he finds out it's actually Leah, right? And so Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him uh, his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So Rachel, uh, oh, sorry. (laughs) Very distracting. I'm so sorry. Stay with me, stay with me. Oh, man, that was... <laughs> so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Okay, so, guys, I, I, I want to do something that is like kind of like heart-rending. You know, if you look into the story a little bit. Okay, so you got Jacob, you got Laban, you got these men, right, in this patriarchal society who are deciding the fates of the women. What about Leah? Oh my goodness, can you imagine that you're Leah in this story? Your whole life, right? No one's paying attention to you. Everyone's like, Rachel, Rachel's so beautiful. Like every guy's like, yo, Leah, yo, yo, can, can you hook it up with your sister? Can, 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 can you make it so, like put in a good word with me with your sister? And poor Leah, right? Everyone's passing her up. No one's talking about Leah, right? And even 
Leah's father, Laban, is like, man, there is no way anyone's going to want to marry Leah. The only way I can get her married is to trick somebody, right? And so he sees this lovesick fool, and he's like, oh, man, like, you know, no one wants Leah. Probably, Rachel probably could have gotten a very good bride price. And, I mean, she did from, from Jacob, right? There are probably a lot of suitors. But no one's lining up for Leah, right? And so she's not wanted by her father. And then he gives her to Jacob. And Jacob, in the morning, sees her face and is like, Oh! Oh my gosh. My goodness. How does that feel? And then Jacob is like, No, this is not the one I want. Right? And and he agrees to serve for seven more years so that he can marry the other daughter. Right? And we're told, I mean, if it's not abundantly clear, verse 30, it says, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. Right? Duh! Right? Everything is very clear about that. But imagine what it means to be Leah, to be the unloved one, be the one that's always passed up. Right? It's not loved by your husband. And friends, uh, so I got to tell you, I relate to Leah in many ways. And so now you get to see the picture. <laughs> this is me in college. Yeah, this is me. Uh, obviously, I'm at karaoke, Norebang, uh, right? And um, yeah, so, so you see me singing there, and I probably was singing a love song. I mean, I got to tell you. I mean, there's so many songs about love, you know, and it was probably a song where I was imagining a girl who uh, uh, friend-zoned me, who probably thought of me just as a guy, space, 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 friend, right? But never a boyfriend, right? That was just me, right? I mean, let's be honest, I'm kind of short, right? I was kind of scrawny back then. And yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I'm rippling with muscles now, but back then, you know, I was just the guy that every girl was like, oh man, you know, it's so comfortable talking to you. You're, you're, you're like the brother I never had. I'm like, that's why every guy wants to hear. Thank you. Thank you. And that was just me. And I, I got to tell you, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I grew up in, in, in a school that was very racially divided, uh, mainly black and white. And there are very few uh, Asian people. And I got teased. I got picked on. Uh, just my whole like like childhood, you know, people were like, "What's wrong with your eyes? What's wrong with your eyes?" You know, you got weak eyes. They didn't say that, but you know, just kind of that, that's a throwback to what we saw with Leah. Uh, but you know, right? Like, I, I never was seen as the person who was, you know, attractive. And you know, for me, <laughs> there were those times where I just kind of like went for it with a girl. Like back then, we called it the DTR. You guys, you guys know the DTR? To find the relationship, right? And, and there's this person that you like, and I got to tell you, um, guys, if you're ever thinking about doing this, I'm just telling you, right? Just as your friend, as your pastor, it's weak sauce. Don't do it. Don't do it. If you don't know, she doesn't like you, okay? I'm just being honest. Just being honest, right? <laughs> or, or, or if you want to know, get a third person's perspective, I'll tell you, and it's probably a no, okay? I'm just being... <laughs> but 
so, so, but, but for me, like, I'm like, oh, man, you know, this person, like, like you know, I, 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 she's my friend, but, but I wanted to be something more. And then, you know, it'd be like, hey, can we talk? Right? And then we have this talk, and then I have this confession. It's so dramatic, right? You know, from the first moment I saw you, I just thought, you know, like, and just like this confession comes out. And then inevitably, you guys are smiling, but you're smiling at my pain, right? <laughs> and, and she would just be like, oh, thank you so much for telling me. But on her face, she's like, oh, why did you do this, right? But then she's like trying to be nice and try to let me down, you know, like, oh, you're such a good friend. And man, I heard that so many times. And, you know, it's not... The girl's fault. Again, I told you, it's weak sauce to do the DTR, right? It's just, I was clueless. But at the same time, how that feels for a guy or, or for a girl, for anyone in that situation, it is one of the most painful experiences, right? And so, I mean, you know, definitely don't play along with it. Like, you, you know, just be clear, right? It's, it's, it's definitely much kinder, right, than to be ambiguous. Just be clear. Uh, but, but, I mean, there's no denying the fact that some of the most painful human experiences are abandonment, betrayal, and rejection, right? And rejection, it feels like death. If we need human connection and love to literally survive, then rejection is hardwired into us to be unbelievably painful, right? It does feel like a kind of death. And so it hurts so much. And so, you know, friends, I'm just sharing because... You know, I'm just trying to be vulnerable with you guys that for me, you know, I grew up with this this kind of emptiness within me that I felt like could only be validated by a person, right? If I got a girlfriend, right? If I got someone to like me back and think of me in that way, I I had this belief, right? I, I know it's not cool to talk about and it doesn't make me seem cool to talk about in this way, but I really, really did feel like that would make me whole in a way that I wasn't, right? And maybe for some of us, we, we don't like to admit this, but we know it's true of us. We want this, right? We want that human connection. We want that validation to know that both that, that, that someone can love us and that we're lovable, right? That's the fear that we have, that no one will love us. You know, that poor Leah, her whole life, you know, being judged by this very superficial thing, Right? I mean, maybe it was just the one thing. Maybe it was just her eyes and just, you know, for her, she's like, why am I being judged on this? But she couldn't help but feel inferior in many ways to her sister or to feel unloved, right? And so, friends, if you're like that, you're not in bad company because Leah, I mean, it's heartbreaking, but in many ways, God does not forget Leah. And we see that. And so we're told that when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son. And so she's like intimate with her husband, right? And she gives the thing that is most wanted in that society. In this patriarchal society, the most important thing to a a, a person was, uh, I mean, was a child, right? But in a patriarchal society, particularly a son. And so uh, she, she conceived a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Oh my gosh, guys, this is so heartbreaking, right? Like, look at poor Leah. Like, she's like, okay, maybe now. Like, like my husband doesn't really want to be with me. I mean, I know that. 
I know he hates me. I know he doesn't love me. I know my dad's never wanted me. But maybe, maybe now that I gave him a son, maybe now he'll love me. Oh, my goodness. And it gets worse, guys. It gets worse. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his son Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. So, friends, it's kind of telling. It's this idea that she doesn't feel loved, but also, I mean, you got to think, right? When Jacob goes to pick who he's going to spend the night with, who would he rather pick? It's not Leah, right? And so probably Jacob was spending most of his time when he wanted to, right, with Rachel, right? with the prettier sister in the eyes of the world, right? And Leah has to see this. And Leah is just feeling empty and longing. And like, maybe now, I mean, what more can I give you? I've given you three sons. Maybe now you will be attached to me. You won't go away from me. You won't reject me. You won't abandon me, right? The worst human feelings you can possibly have, right? But there's a shift that happens. So Leah does... Uh, get pregnant again, and she has another son. But something seems to shift. We're not really sure exactly what it is, but it says, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time, this time, I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Right? There seems to be something different about this son. Where, like, maybe, maybe something happened in Leah where she's like, okay, I've tried everything. I've tried everything, right? And, and, and I've had all these sons, and it's never enough. It's, it's never going to be enough for me, right? And so instead of waiting for Jacob to love me, this time, I will praise the Lord. I'm going to look to the Lord for my salvation. I'm going to look to the Lord for my human longing, Right? Because maybe she's realizing what all of us should, is that God is the only one who can fulfill that longing, right? And so, friends, you may know this. There's no amount of human love that can do that, right? I mean, I didn't stay the awkward guy at karaoke just singing songs by myself. Eventually, I started dating. And the first time a girl liked me back, I was like, I'm going to marry you. And I did. <laughs> Aaron. But it was actually a very complicated thing. We broke up for a long time. I mean, I definitely was. I had this saying back then. This is just how pathetic I was. You guys ever had, like, the chopsticks, right? And where, where you do the chopstick thing where you break it. And it's like, like, there's two different versions of this. Like, you think of, like, that person that, that you're crushing on or whatever, right? And it's like, who's thinking of the person more than the other, or who loves the person more than the other. And I always used to say with Erin, she was so sick of me saying this, like, my chopstick is bigger than yours. <laughs> I used to say that, right? I'm like, you know, because I like you so much, and, you know, I just kind of wore you down at some point, you know? And, and uh, uh, but yeah, th- there was a time where we broke up for a long time, for like almost three years. And uh, like, I dated some other people during that time. And there came a point where I was like, okay, I'm not completely a gargoyle, 
right? Like, like I can be in a relationship, you know? Maybe some people might like me back. Okay, great. And I got to tell you, friends, it was never enough. Even in my marriage, there were still times where I, I, I wondered, in, in my heart of hearts, if you could look into my soul, um, I, 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 I have this, this new thing. I, I shared this with uh, Asian University. I spoke with them on Friday. Um, do you guys know, uh, uh, like, Infinity War? It's like the Marvel movie with Thanos, right, where he's, he, like, snaps his fingers and, you know, he, he can do whatever he wants, right? And, and in it, there's this, this, like, gauntlet that's got, like, all these different stones that uh, control all these different aspects of the universe. At least in the comics, in, in, in the movies, it seems kind of like weak sauce, but the most powerful stone in the comics, it's not the power stone. I mean, you would think, right? It's called power, right? But it's actually the soul stone. And the reason why in the comics is because there's somebody who spent a lot of time with the soul stone and actually could see into Thanos' soul and knew exactly what Thanos actually really wanted deep down. And he knew that deep down, at least in the comics, that he didn't really, really, really want to win. And so he would kind of leave these openings, just kind of self, subconsciously, right? And so they were able to find a way to defeat Thanos because someone knew his soul that well, right? And in the movie, right, he snaps his fingers, and what happens? He sees the person he loves most, which is his daughter that he sacrificed, right? And he sees her as a little child. And then they have this, this, this uh, exchange that has become, you know, very memed, right? Where, where she's like, did you do it? It's like, yes. You know, what did it cost? Everything. You know, and it's this, this, this kind of look within your soul, right? Like, was it really worth it? Was it really worth it? Is that what you really wanted? What did it really cost you, right? And this question, when you look deep into your soul, man, if I, I were to do the soul stone, you know, the night of my wedding, right? If I was to snap my fingers and to see within me, I would be just 100% honest with you. It did not fully satisfy me. I mean, it was great. Don't get me wrong. Wedding is one of the best days of my life, right? But if I'm being really, 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 really honest, I mean, it's not, I mean, Erin is awesome. She's like the best wife. She really is, right? But it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter that you're married. It doesn't matter that you're single. It doesn't matter, you know, that you're, you're surrounded by friends and all of these people. There, there are, you know, pop stars and, you know, uh, actors and actresses and celebrities who are, have all of these adoring people who are like, ah, you're the best. I love you. I love you. And they're like, do you really love me? Or you just love what you think I can give you? Or you love who you think I am? Right? You don't know my soul. You're not the lover of my soul. You're the lover of my image. And it's never going to be completely satisfying, right? And so Leah maybe has one of these moments where she realizes none of this will ever fully satisfy. So she says, this time I will praise the Lord. And Judah's different. Now, the way actually in counterfeit gods that this is told, because, you know, like they want to make the chapters nice and kind of lean, and they want this kind of clean story, they just end there. They're like, oh, with, with uh, Leah's last child, right, that she says, this time I'll praise the Lord, and now she, she knows the Lord. Amen. And End of story. That's not the end of the story. It actually doesn't stop there. I wish it was, right? But what you see is the rivalry continues, and so actually, Rachel starts bearing children too. 
So she starts giving her, her uh, handmaiden to uh, uh, Jacob because she's like, okay, I can't have kids, but maybe you can through my servant, right? And then they start having kids, uh, sons through her servant. And then eventually she actually gets pregnant herself, right? But when this happens, I think something clicks in Leah where she's like, oh, wait, you know, it's on. The game's back on, right? And so she starts giving her servant to Jacob, right? And there's this really kind of weird story where um, Reuben, uh, one of her sons, gets these mandrakes. And Rachel's like, hey, let me have some of those mandrakes. And Leah just kind of like has one of these moments where you just kind of snap, right? Just something goes off and he's like, you have my husband. Now you want my son's mandrakes, right? And they make this deal where she gives some mandrakes to Rachel in exchange for one night with Jacob, right? And then they have another kid and then another kid, right? It doesn't stop. Man, it's like this broken record. It's just stuck on repeat, right? And does this sound familiar? I have known for me at different moments in my life that the idol for me was the desire to be loved by another person, right? I've known that. And there were, you know, moments at retreats where I'm just like, you know, we're, we're praising God and we're in that prayer time and I'm like, God, I give this idol up to you. No longer, I will be free. And there were moments where I felt great freedom. But I gotta tell you, that like middle of my sophomore year, you know, the, the studies get really hard. I'm really questioning what I'm doing. And, 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 and I'm just really kind of lonely. I went to school in Cleveland, by the way. Cleveland winter just is terrible. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, it would be really nice to have a girlfriend right now. <laughs> right? Right? It, it, like, we have these messages that just play on repeat for us. Right? There's this... Uh, a book by John Acuff. It's a wonderful book. I'll probably go into more detail in the future. He calls it Soundtracks. And he says that one of the things is that we have like this voice in our head that we can't really uh, silence sometimes. And we, we overthink all the time. And he thinks that one of the reasons why is because we have soundtracks that play all the time. And because human beings tend to pay more attention to the negative, uh, uh, it's a weird thing that our mind actually prefers negative messages, pays attention to them way more, that most of our soundtracks tend to be negative, right? There's not many people who are like, um, <laughs> like Kanye, who's just like, I'm dope, right? Like, that's his soundtrack. He's like, like I'm just dope, right? And, you know, not many of us are like, I'm awesome, you know? Our soundtracks might be like, like I, I'm, I'm betting that probably Leah's was something to this effect, I am unloved. Nobody would ever want me. And so she has this moment where she dedicates Judah to the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord, right? But the soundtrack doesn't go away. It keeps coming back again and again and again. And this idea, I'm unloved. Nobody's going to want me. Friends, um, it makes me think about, you know, an ancestor, uh, uh, sorry, a descendant. Uh, she is the ancestor of somebody very important in the Bible, right? Leah is, right? 
Um, so Leah's uh, uh, child, Judah, is different, right? There's something different, right? His name is not about this longing, about this rivalry, about this being unloved. It's this dedication. This time I will praise the Lord. And so you may know that Jesus comes from the line of Judah. Jesus comes from the unloved woman, right? And it's very interesting because there's kind of a flip that happens, right? Um, So by the way, actually, before we look at Luke, uh, I want to look at Isaiah. And in Isaiah, we are told this kind of prophecy about the Messiah, right? And it says, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him, right? Kind of like Leah, right? It's saying that there's nothing within him that we would look at him and be like, oh yeah, I want to be with Jesus because he's beautiful, right? That he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. It is through the child of the unloved that all of us come to know love. And so maybe naturally men would reject Jesus and look at him and say, oh, I can't look at you. You're ugly. But that's not the voice of Jesus. That's not the voice of God. And so what we find is the voice of God that appears. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He gets baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. And it says, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open. So if you guys know what baptism is, is that it's a full immersion, right? You get dunked into water. And so he's immersed in the water, right? And, and when he comes out, it says the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. So it's like he's immersed in the water, but it's like a symbol of what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. It's supposed to just completely fill us and cover us. It descends upon him, upon his very being. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is a different soundtrack, isn't it? It's not, you are unloved, no one will ever want you. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. That's just who Jesus is. Jesus hasn't preached a single sermon that we know about. He hasn't done a single healing yet that we know about, right? It's not based on his performance. God doesn't give him an attaboy, you did a good job, now I love you. He says, no, you are loved. And out of that, Jesus is able to live, Jesus is able to live in a different kind of freedom because he knows he's loved. And do you know what happens right after Jesus is baptized? Where does the Holy Spirit lead Jesus? Into the desert where he's alone for 40 days and 40 nights. No one is there. No one is there to affirm that he is loved except for the voice of God, right? And it's in that place where Jesus really gets honed for ministry, right? I wonder how many times you know, maybe day 16, day 17, right? Absolutely no one around where Jesus is just hearing that soundtrack play again and again. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And then after the 40 days and nights, what happens? Satan goes and, and attacks Jesus, tests him, right? And what, how does the trial go? Every attack goes like this. If 
You are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, then prove it. Right? He's attacking his identity. Right? But Jesus is able to just deflect and, and you know, counterattack every single blow of the enemy using Scripture and using the knowledge. No, I know. I know I'm the child of God. I know that voice. Right? What about us, friends? Because what we find is, like it says in uh, Isaiah 53, by the wounds of Jesus, we are healed. And all of us are adopted now into this family if we would believe it. If we would believe it. If we receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the spirit of adoption into sonship or into you know, becoming the child just like God, just like Jesus, excuse me. Right? And we say sonship because it, it, it's, this is the mantle of Jesus. It is to men and women, right? But it's this idea that you are loved the way that Jesus was loved, right? And so, friends, maybe some of you, you're hearing this message, and there have been moments of breakthrough for you. There have been moments where you feel loved. There have been moments where you're like, okay, I'm not going to look to the world. I'm going to look to God. But then the soundtrack starts playing again. Something happens. Something triggers you. You know, I don't know. Maybe you do get rejected by a guy or girl. Or you look at someone else and you start comparing yourself to them. Right? Or you start feeling inadequate. You start feeling lonely. You start getting stressed out. And then you fall back to this old soundtrack. No one will love me. No one will ever want me. Right? What do we do in those moments? What we see in the baptism of Jesus is that God desires to cover us, to fill us with the Holy Spirit, right? You are filled to the brim, right, with the presence of God and the voice that goes with it, right? This soundtrack, this new soundtrack that hopefully can play in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. You are my beloved child. I am well pleased with you, right? One of the things I talk about with Scripture is the Bible doesn't really emphasize reading because people didn't read back then that much, right? Not everyone had a physical Bible. And, and it doesn't even really emphasize study, at least not in the way we think about it. But what it emphasized was meditation, right? Or rumination, as it, it, it was known. And rumination, that word comes from like cattle or, or animals, the way they would kind of chew the cud or grass, right? Because grass was very hard to digest, and they would just chew on it just again and again and again, right? And so, like, hearing these messages from God, this is what we were supposed to do with Scripture, right? You are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. Right? This is why we do Scripture memorization, right? This is why there's some people, they, they tape Scripture to their window or, or, or their... their uh, uh, a mirror, right? Or their car somewhere, right? Because we need to be reminded. In this world, it is so easy to hear the voices of the accuser saying, who would ever love you? Like, really? Have you looked in a mirror? You're kidding yourself. If you think that you would ever be loved, there's a different voice we need to hear. You are my beloved child. I'm well pleased with you. You are my beloved child. I am well pleased with you. You are my beloved child. And some of us, we fall back on these things before. We say, well, I was loved. Or maybe one day I will be loved. She will be loved. But friends, the message is be loved. Be loved. Be loved. 
You are my beloved child. I love you right now. I love you right now, and I always will. Right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. And in the next moment, I'm going to still love you. And you're going to still need to know that. And you're going to need to replay that soundtrack again and again and again until it sinks down deep, until it's like the water that was washing over Jesus that is just drenching every pore of you. And you just know with every fiber of your being that you are loved by the Creator, by the God of the whole universe. This is what God wants for us. Praise team, can you guys come up? Maybe we can just take a moment as they're getting ready. Whatever you guys, you guys can just kind of start playing the music. This feels more spiritual that way. <laughs> but as they're starting to play, um, friends, if you want to close your eyes and you can just kind of repeat this, or maybe you can just hear me speak it over you. Because, friends, if we are adopted into the family of Christ, this is true of us, Right? You are adopted as a child of God. And so the words that God had for Jesus, he also has for you. You are, right now, and always will be, my beloved child. Be loved child. I am well pleased with you. I am proud of you. You are mine. I love you. I would ransom nations for you. I would walk through walls for you. I would walk on water for you. I would move mountains for you. I would give up everything for you, and I did. I gave you my very son, who I love with my whole heart, so you could know that you are loved too, that I want you to be a part of my family. You are loved. Don't listen to the voices of the accuser that are telling you that no one will love you, that there's something wrong with you that is missing that can only be filled by the affirmation of another person or the belonging that this world is trying to give you. It will never be enough. The only thing that will ever be enough is being immersed in the Spirit daily, constantly, knowing who we truly are, We are beloved of God. We are beloved of God, now and always. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.